A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron, and welcome to the show which delves into the mucky business of politics through the eyes of Christians. You might think politics is tainted by compromise and sin. And of course, you would be right. But then again, so is everything else. And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in the world of politics. We're especially delighted to be launching season three of this show. Over the coming weeks, we'll be joined by some great guests and discussing some hot issues. But today we move away from normal conversations to mark the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. We'll be joined by broadcaster, commentator and former Downing Street advisor, Tim Montgomery. We'll look at past relations between monarchy and politics and then to the future. Now, it's no exaggeration to say that this has been a week like no other. Seven days ago, Boris Johnson headed Her Majesty's government. Today, Liz Truss heads His Majesty's government. The biggest political stories, a new prime minister appointing a new government and setting out proposals to tackle the energy crisis, they've been completely overshadowed by the loss of our longest serving monarch. Of course, she was 96 years old, and so this day ought not to have been unexpected, but the announcement still came as a profound shock. It certainly winded me. As I said in my tribute in the House of Commons last week, the landmarks of the Queen's reign have been the landmarks of each of our lives. Many, who are even older than me, will remember her acceding to the throne. I remember the Silver Jubilee, dancing around a maypole at the age of seven in 1977, and the Golden Jubilee as the father of a new baby. We shared so much joy earlier this year of the Platinum Jubilee. Her life was our life, and her history has become our history. They're inseparable and indivisible, and we will ever be touched by it. We have a constitutional monarchy. Our new king will open new sessions of parliament as his mother did. He will invite party leaders to form a government and sign off legislation, but this is all a formality. No monarch has refused royal assent to a bill since Queen Anne in 1707. There are, of course, alternatives to appointing your head of state by heredity. In Ireland, for instance, their president is an elected head of state, but largely above politics and apart from government. It's a ceremonial role. But in the United States and in France, the head of state and the head of government is the same person. Now, that can cause issues if your allegiance to your head of state doesn't fit with your political allegiances. So, on balance, I tend to think that our system works and that we should stick with it. But as we come to terms with the sadness of losing our queen, maybe we are also feeling a sense of fatigue. The last few years have been full of upheaval and emotion, the horrors of terrorist attacks, the bitterness of Brexit debates, the trauma of a global pandemic and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Maybe more than we ever consciously realised, the Queen acted as a source of security, stability, a reliable constant in our ever-changing world. I've even heard these sentiments expressed by people who are Republicans, or at least sceptics about the monarchy, over the last few days. So how do we deal with this as Christians? Well, while the Queen was a constant to us, we know that it was her faith in Jesus Christ which served as her constant. She was never shy about talking of her faith, possibly to the irritation of some advisors, I don't know. In her 2020 Christmas broadcast, she said, the teachings of Christ have served as my inner light. 
and in a 2021 message that his teachings have been the bedrock of my faith. There can be no doubt that her faith gave Her Majesty an external source of wisdom that she will have imparted to all 15 of her prime ministers. On Saturday in my constituency in Kendal, we had a short practice for the local ceremony for the proclamation of King Charles III that was to take place on Sunday. At the time we gathered inside the town hall, we hadn't yet received the wording of the proclamation and so for the purposes of the run through, the council chairman used the text from 1952 instead. Now I found this really truly moving, hearing those words that were first read as the young Princess Elizabeth acceded to the throne, praying that she would have a long and successful reign. Now those prayers were answered and yet here we are 70 years later and it's gone. The flower of youth snuffed out, the queen is dead, long live the king. 70 long years yet in the history of the universe, it is the blinking of an eye. The Queen knew that, and we can be sure now that she is with her saviour. Let us remember that we can be just as certain of our own futures, if only we will put our trust in Jesus. When our world is in flux, nothing is secure with all things merely temporary, we can be confident that God truly is our constant. He will never leave us. There will never be a proclamation of his successor, no funeral. It's right that we mourn, that we give thanks for her life of service and praise the God who most definitely saved our gracious Queen. And then as we turn to face the challenges of this changing world, let's meditate on the words of Deuteronomy 33 and verse 27. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, so too our guest, Tim Montgomery, is a broadcaster and commentator, a former Conservative special advisor in number 10. You're really welcome. It's wonderful to have you with us again, Tim. Well, it's lovely to be here, t- uh, Tim, really lovely. So obviously the, the passing of the, of the Queen last week, despite her uh, long years, nevertheless feels like a huge blow uh, to millions of people, many of whom wouldn't have expected to feel that the way that they do. What kind of impact do you think uh, Her Majesty's death has had on on the population as a whole? Well, I was actually with my mum uh, and dad on the day that the Queen died. And I don't think I have seen my mum as upset as since one of her um, sisters died. And... At church on Sunday, where my dad preached a magnificent sermon, I was very proud of him. Um, the church was probably had a uh, hundred people. Normally there was about 60, 70. And I don't think there was anyone there who didn't at least shed a tear during mm. the service. And I know that there are people in the church who are Republicans, not many, but some. And that I think was the Queen's power really even when you didn't necessarily believe in the institution of the monarchy, you had to be the most uh, unfair-minded of people not to recognise the extraordinary service that she gave over such a long period. So I think there is a lot of sadness, and um, we may come on to it, Tim. I don't want to Mm. preempt some of your questions, but a, a big challenge for the nation as well in our identity. Well, let's just ponder upon that, because I think, obviously, as you say, the, there's pretty much unanimity 
um, even including people who are not really supporters of the monarchy, in fact, opponents of it, um, that Queen Elizabeth II was a person who performed the role more than admirably, uh, with real service and energy up to a very, very, very old age, and remained above politics, and therefore embodied something unifying about the nation. That, I hope, says something about the monarchy as a whole, but I guess we can't, can we, divorce the role of the monarch from the individual who sits on the throne. So how do we think a change from Queen Elizabeth II to King Charles III might affect the way the monarchy is viewed by the country as a whole? Well, Tim, if I may, he is, um, <laughs> paid tribute to my interviewer and uh, flatter you. Um, I think uh, of all the contributions that were made in Parliament last week, paying tribute to Her Majesty. I think yours was incredibly important and I was really grateful you said what you said and tweeted as much because a lot of people have spoken about the Queen's service, her sacrifice, her commitment, her kindness, etc., etc. And some have sort of, in a woolly way, connected it to her faith. But it was kind of an undefined faith, even when they managed to describe it in those terms. You absolutely nailed the issue, which I think people needed to hear. It wasn't an accident the Queen was who she was and had all those characteristics. She had a living faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm so glad someone said it and you said it. And so my way of answering your question, how will the monarch ch monarchy change but given the new person fulfilling the role? I think it will change partly because... We probably, I don't fully know um, what Prince Charles's faith is, but I do know we've gone from an extraordinary Christian woman to someone who perhaps is, you know, more open to a multitude of faiths. And certainly in his life has perhaps not always led, who amongst us has, but always led a Christian life of typical um, form. And I think it will, out of his beliefs, we will, just as the Queen's beliefs shaped her, period on the throne. So Prince Charles's beliefs will, will shape his. And I think there's more of a green ideology there, perhaps in a Christian faith, but push back on me if you think I'm wrong about that. I'm absolutely sure that the values of the monarch, uh, I mean, we assume that the, um, that the guidance, that the sessions that the monarch spends with their prime minister are not just tea and cake and there's genuine conversation and genuine wisdom imparted, and that the, the office holder uh, takes those conversations and that wisdom seriously. If that is the case, and I assume it is and will continue to be, then obviously the values of the monarch are really very important. They may not uh, influence policy directly. They have no real veto over legislation. Their power is uh, informal or, or ceremonial, really. Nevertheless, I've no doubt whatsoever that the Queen's Christian faith had an impact on the wisdom she then imparted to 15 prime ministers. And yeah. so likewise, uh, the values of King Charles III and whatever faith he has um, will potentially have the same impact. And so it could, I guess, may you, may, you may agree, this is me talking now rather than me asking you questions, but uh, <laughs> I wonder whether you might agree that, um, that this would have an impact on on our politics going forward. And if it is that, you know, Prince Charles has a particular interest in the environment, this might have a, a bearing upon his conversations with Liz Truss and her successors. Yeah. Well, he said, we know, of course, he's taken many positions over the years, some very public, like on architecture, 
and climate, uh, some more private. Uh, for example, I think he was opposed to the government's policy on asylum, um, the uh, extradition policy to Rwanda, but that was leaked out. He says, and I'm sure he intends to uh, do, the, do this, but he says that as he assumes the throne, he won't be that lobbying person that he was as the Prince of Wales. I think we all know, though, that those are his beliefs, and it is hard to change the habits of a lifetime. And um, I wonder whether, I wonder whether the uh, his son, of course, who's now become the Prince of Wales, he has taken on a lot of his father's causes, including, I hope, the Prince's Trust. Mm. And so, I think even if Prince Charles doesn't directly lobby the Prime Minister and the country, I think the family, uh, Charles. Team Charles, if you like, will. Mm. Now, moving on a little bit, because I guess you know, we're talking about you know, the new king's faith, and we don't know. That is a matter between him and uh, the Almighty. He may choose to make public statements, but what he has said in the past, which contrasted a little bit to what he said in his address to the nation uh, last Friday, was that he wanted to be defender of faiths and not of the faith. Um, uh, but he, he has nevertheless clarified in his address the nation that he will be the defender of the faith, the head of the Church of England, um, which I guess for those of us who would like that to be the case, that's reassuring. What, what impact do you think the arrival of King Charles on the throne might have to our established church? Well, as a key question, um, I don't know. I hope that um, there will be stability. And I think so far that has been the tenor of his the speeches that he's given, the remarks he's, he's issued. Um, but I think it will inevitably be different in some form. So, for example, at the moment, we have uh, Lord Spiritual in the House of Lords re representing the Church of England in quite a formulaic way. I don't think that will necessarily be lost. But as Peter O'Born has written, the uh, former uh, Telegraph and Mail commentator, this is probably the most pro-Islam monarch we've ever had in British history. And that, I think, will have effects because it's very dear to him, that belief. And I think we will probably see even more representation of other faiths, for example, in the House of Lords, perhaps in prisons, uh, perhaps in the army. And so I think that is something that is dear to him. And he will probably think that even if he stops being political, he can, can still be, still carry on with that influence. A mucky business with Tim Farron. We're talking to Tim Montgomery, the broadcaster and commentator, former number 10 special advisor. Um, we're in the midst of uh, a time of significant change in the UK. Uh, we've had uh, a couple of referenda. We have a, a Sinn Féin being the largest party in the Northern Ireland Assembly, the SNP dominant in, in Scotland. What impact do we think a change in the occupant of Buckingham Palace, a change in the monarch, our new King Charles III, what impact that might that have on the union and the future of it? Well, as clearly, during the Queen's reign, um, the empire shrunk considerably. And I think the fear that Charles must have and his advisors is that the, the, the homeland, if you like, the union, United Kingdom, will shrink. Will Scotland leave? Uh, polls still show enormous support for independence north of the border. Uh, would Northern Ireland potentially unify with the South? 
And it's no accident that one of his first acts as the new king is to go with the new prime minister to the main parts of the United Kingdom. And I think he wants to show that he isn't going to just be in London. He cares deeply about the integrity of the United Kingdom. And um, I think it, I don't think he will have the power that the Queen has, almost through no fault of his own. The Queen was an incredibly special person, but he will do his best to keep the union together. And um, I wish him well as a unionist in that. And you wonder whether it maybe causes a bit of a problem, particularly in, in Scotland, where some supporters of independence will see independence from the crown as being part of their their yes. belief system, whereas others, uh, at least officially um, and, and probably actually, Nicola Sturgeon, who would say, look, independence is what we want. We're not trying to um, uh, lose Her Majesty or His Majesty now as our head of state. So it could potentially be a challenge for nationalism as well. No. Well, at the moment, whether the SNP is serious about it, um, the SNP say that independence is something they want from the political institutions mm. of the United Kingdom, but they want to retain if an independent Scotland would continue to have the monarchy, like Canada has the monarchy, like mm. Australia has the monarchy. Um, so in that sense, the monarchy would continue to have a role, um, even if um, the United Kingdom broke up. But you do get a sense, Tim, I don't know whether you agree with this, but if the uh, UK breaks up, the monarchy will begin to lose some of its power and reach. And you know, it probably won't be too long before Australia votes to become a republic. Scotland probably wouldn't vote immediately after any independence vote to abolish the monarchy. But you could see it happening much more if um, Scotland is outside of the UK. And I guess the danger to our political system is um, the monarchy provides, I think we probably agree on this, that it provides a stability and something yes. which is broadly above politics and where the transfer of power is relatively seamless and and where your affection for your country doesn't then get muddied with your lack of affection for your political leader, let's say, mm. um, which is, of course, a problem in the States and in France. And so if we did end up in a situation where the monarchy went into decline, that could potentially lead to significant lack of stability for our whole political system. Well, absolutely. You're a monarchist, Tim, aren't you? You believe in the monarchy. Yeah, I do. I mean, you probably wouldn't create a a country no. like this from scratch, but it kind of works, Tim. <laughs> well, look, a lot of people will say, Republicans say, there's a legitimacy question to a monarchy. And I understand that. But look at the democratic institutions we have in the UK at the moment. I'm not sure they are the most loved and respected. Mm. And I think what the monarchy does, and I agree with you, we probably wouldn't have designed it this way, but they embody things that the political and democratic system do not family, tradition, charity, constancy. They exhibit things that aren't really part of our democratic institutions, and our democratic institutions don't do very well, particularly on a four or five year time frame, as, as they are. And look, of course, the, when I say the monarchy represents the family and the importance of the family and things like that. Of course, the family, the royal family has its same problems as every family in the United Kingdom. So I'm not saying in representing them, they do so perfectly. But I think the Queen's service, the charity of work of the Prince of Wales, the, the having a non-polarising figure to represent us on things like World War II commemorations, there is a role 
for the monarchy and pointing to qualities that I think our democratic institutions neglect or can't even really reach for at all. And let's be positive. King Charles has had a very long apprenticeship. Um, <laughs> I heard somebody on, I think, on, on the radio the other day talking about uh, in introducing her listeners to the new King Charles. We don't need much introduction. Uh, we kind of know him relatively well. And um, But, of course, one thing he will nevertheless uh, have to deal with, which he's dealt with all his life, uh, something which his mother didn't so much have to deal with is the the kind of wall-to-wall media coverage, the levels of scrutiny and commentary that wasn't really available when the uh, Queen uh, took to the throne. But how would you say, I mean, the, in the days since the Queen's death and the accession to the throne of King Charles, that the media has, has handled this? Some people will say it's been over the media too much or, or, or how, how would you say that it has been handled broadly? Well, look, I, I think these are very difficult things for the media in many ways because people do have very strongly held views on the monarchy. And uh, I thought the BBC, let's look at the BBC, but I probably don't have time to look at everyone. The BBC is the national broadcaster. I thought its initial coverage in the first day or two was absolutely flawless. I thought Hugh Edwards and Clive Myrie, brilliant uh, broadcasting. I've worried a little bit since, and I say this as a very devout and serious committed monarchist, I think you know, massive events have been happening in Ukraine these last few days as well, Tim. Mm. I'm not sure the media have got the balance right. I think there's been a little bit too much focus on the monarchy and not enough on other news. And that is not to say that the monarchy isn't incredibly important. But actually, I think it's in the interest of the monarchy that the broadcasters don't overdo it. And I think the BBC is a little bit afraid that if it doesn't do err on the side of doing too much, uh, a conservative government might come for them. So maybe I'm and my party is slightly responsible for that. Yes, people said that about the Jubilee, didn't they, over the summer, that maybe the, the BBC would deliberately going over the top so that yes. no one would accuse them of being woke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, f- final question, because obviously, you know, just uh, 72 hours before the passing of Her Majesty, we had a different accession. Liz Truss replaced Boris Johnson as the occupant of number 10. Mm. What would it be like for Liz Truss, brand new Prime Minister, with all the challenges that uh, entails anyway, to be in a situation where her monarch uh, and the person whose government she heads has changed. Well, extraordinary. I think everyone said before Liz Truss won the Tory leadership, although why anyone would want to win the premiership at the moment, I don't know, but <laughs> that it was the biggest entry of any, or most, the, one of the biggest entries of any prime ministers in the post-war period. And then this happened um, as well. And so... You're a Liberal Democrat, uh, Tim. I'm a Conservative. And also, would, I think you would, you would want this. Even if you're not a Conservative, we need our Prime Minister to succeed at the moment. We need the country to be knit together after the death of the Queen. We, we need households to be able to have the wherewithal to survive the winter because of energy prices. And we need to rally global support for Ukraine. And so even if you're not a Conservative, you need her to succeed. And that is just my hope and prayer at the moment, that whatever, you know, wherever we are in six months' time, that she's short-footed in these first few weeks and months. And um, if, if, if this moment is looked back on as a major moment of change, to have a new prime minister and a new king, a monarch within two days of each other, 
it does have the potential to feel like a different start for Britain. Mm. And um, let's just hope it's a positive one rather than a negative one, if it is that significant. It feels like a good place to to stop our conversation for the time being at least and and to say absolutely that we should we are commanded as christians to pray for our leaders not just the ones we agree with um in fact you know maybe we don't need that much encouragement to pray for them we do need to pray for our leaders god has put them there um their warts and their and all and we should be uh, be grateful that he gives us leaders and indeed grateful for the 70 years her majesty spent on the throne tim it's always an absolute joy to speak with you i'm really grateful to you for your time let's have you back on again soon thank you tim for all you do at premier radio and in parliament as well it's much appreciated each week we give you the opportunity to ask any question you'd like about this mucky business of politics it might be how an aspect of this world impacts us as christians who work within it or maybe there is a particular issue of fluffed out. Each week we give you the opportunity to ask any question you'd like about this mucky business of politics. It might be how an aspect of this world impacts us as Christians who work within it, or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. As we get back to normal programming next week, I'd love to hear your questions and attempt to answer them. So please drop me an email to farron at premier.org.uk. as we come to the end of our time together for this show, let's join together in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we truly thank you for the long and glorious reign of Queen Elizabeth II. We thank you for her sure and clear faith that she was never ashamed of and which she pronounced publicly, which means that we can have confidence that God has saved the Queen. And we pray in your hands and we keep and comfort on all her family uh, who grieve and mourn her passing and indeed all those people especially in our own country who are also saddened and grieving because of the loss of our queen Lord, we thank you for prince charles now king charles iii thank you for his many years of service indeed his apprenticeship and for his deep affection for his mother and we pray now lord that you strengthen him as he deals with his own grief and now takes on the role of king of our country. And we pray that you give him wisdom, and we pray you'd help him to emulate the faith of his mother. Uh, May we, every time we sing God save the king, make it a prayer that Lord, you would uh, save him, that you would turn his heart to you. And Lord, we also want to pray for our new prime minister and his trust who takes office in the midst of enormous turmoil. Would you give her wisdom? Uh, Would you give her um, the grace of understanding you and coming to know you and bless her with wisdom as she makes appointments as she makes decisions and as she helps to lead our country through very difficult times and we pray that you provide especially for those who are most in need as we deal with the challenges that lie ahead we ask all of these things in the name of jesus christ our lord and our savior amen well thank you so much for joining us for this week's show Don't forget, you can catch up on past episodes which feature interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for A Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premierchristianradio.com forward slash A Mucky Business. It's been great to have you with us. See you soon.